I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Rules to our Great Lakes Guitar Pickup Giveaway. In cooperation with Great Lakes Guitar Pickups, we've got free pickups to give away. Jim and I will be demoing the pickups as long as our promotion goes on for it, and it's supposed to last for an entire year. Make sure you're watching and sharing the videos with interested friends. I mean, who couldn't use a set of killer guitar pickups, right? So here's how it's going to work. First, on February 11th, a special word will be posted on Great Lakes Guitar Pickups' Facebook page. A second word or phrase will be placed randomly within the episode of the Practical Guitarist podcast that is released on February 11th. Combine both of these words and send us an email with them. All who respond with both words will be entered into the drawing. Also, once you win, don't bother entering again, as you will not be eligible going forward. Make sure you tell your friends. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. Aren't you glad my technical difficulties are over with? Take two. Yeah, take two. So uh, Jim and I are trying something new tonight. We got these these things around our neck. They do interesting things. Um, they make noises, and yes. uh, I think we I think we're all united by these noises in some way or another. I'm hoping um, I'm hoping that's why everybody's here. Yeah, because I mean, they want to make I, noise with these things. Yeah, you know that whole thing. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> obviously, Jim and I are electric guitar players. If you didn't know, you're probably yeah. listening to the wrong podcast at this point. Yeah, if um, you were looking for the fishing podcast, that's over on the other one. Yes. Um, yeah, the other so, uh, later in this episode, there will be a secret word. There will yes. be a secret phrase. And it will be, it will be inserted, and it will be obvious. Um, yes. And it will probably be inserted just like random mid-sentence, maybe something David, like that. It'll sound like a bleep that David just throws in there. Yeah, because that's what it's going to be. Um, anyway, so if you hear this secret word, you can go over to Nick Bonner's, uh, page, you know, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups on Facebook, uh, join the page and he will have posted another secret word and you can combine these two secret words to form a phrase and you can email that phrase to the practical guitarist email address, which is questions at practicalguitars.com to enter yourself and a chance to win the pickups that Jim actually has in the guitar he's playing right now. Oh, crap. I'm not playing that guitar. No, I should not. probably put that guitar No, in, you're right? not. I'm, t- I'm kidding. He's playing his SG right now. But uh, the, the pickups in that guitar actually probably sound better than the pickups in his SG. Uh, yeah, he'll never, I, t- I he'll never admit that. But, I love uh, my SG. There is love... Can you feel the love? Sometimes tonight? you just gotta t- you gotta look at it and you gotta say, you know what, the guitar's fine as is, and I'm not gonna mess with it. And that's that's really when I bought this SG, you know, I've talked about, I've thought, oh, I need it. No, no, I have the I have the guitars I like, and in all honesty, every time I look at another guitar, it's, it's like it's like that meme <laughs> where that guy's yeah, the guy's like turning around, looking, he's with his girlfriend, he's but he's looking at the other girl. girl. Yeah, yep. Um, that's me. Well, and, and Jim, Jim has confessed that he has he has thought about selling this guitar. <laughs> last so week. And, and the truth is, I have not done it. Obviously. No, no, but you thought about it. I did. I did. And by and the Roman time, uh, by the Roman Catholic Church's definition, that means you did it. <laughs> that's right. 
You know what's funny is, so every time I think about it, this is what you should do if you think about selling a guitar, because we've all got that, oh, I never should have let it go thing. Yeah. Pick it up and play it. That's, that's what, that's what uh, fixed, you know, fixed it for me, was just picking it up and playing it and going, yeah, I'm not getting rid of that. Why would I get rid of that? Yeah, yeah. So the reason why Jim and I have decided to bring guitars onto the show this evening, and probably we'll do this again in the future at some point, um, yes. is more or less to, well, th- number one, podcasting is the perfect format for anything music-related because, guess what? It's audio. Um, right. Number two is we're going to be talking about some playing things that we thought that it would be easier to to, to demonstrate or at least to play back some things that we know um, right. relate to the topic tonight um, than yep. it would be to, like, try and discuss and describe them. Um, yeah, so this week's uh, this week's topic for playing guitars is rhythm. Yeah, groove. groove. I would say, I would say groove. I mean, rhythm groove. is one is part of grit, certainly. Yes. Um, other thing, before we get started, I wanted to go through what Jim and I are actually playing through. Um, I've got my Ash S500 from GNL here, Maple yep. Neck, uh, plugged into my Helix on the floor, and uh, you know that's doing pretty much everything for me. And I've got that all running into the Steinberg UR22, so I got two inputs, a microphone, and that. Jim. Yep. And I'm running a, a 2017 SG standard into a um, Pod HD 500X into the Boss Katana. It's in the clean channels. So it's pretty much not doing anything to the sound. It's just uh, putting it out to. He's the just bleeding it so I can too. hear it into into the microphone. Yes. So, <laughs> that's basically that's what really it is. Because it, it's going into the clean channel with everything set at, at 12 o'clock. Just a personal um, reminder we got to be real careful not to play at the same time as we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and bo- we can't really play. Unfortunately, because of the way we're doing things, we'll probably want to play at the same time. Yeah, kind of throw off timing, um, and because uh, I would try to sync with him, and it wouldn't sound good at all. Because no, cause we've got it, about a three, uh, well, almost a second and a half delay between us. Yeah, there's probably close to it. Yeah, maybe maybe longer. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so uh, one thing I did want to talk about since we're both running through modeling gear. I put a survey in the group because I knew we were actually going to do this tonight. Yeah. Um, and I put a survey in the group talking about modeling. And, I, and the reason I did this was yeah. um, I was really, really interested in how much the guitar community has changed as of late um, and the okay. opinions of specifically uh, modeling. modeling equipment. I mean, right now, the three big things that I see discussed all over the Internet, and I don't care whether you're on the gear page or corksniffers.com, it, you'll see the Axe effects, the Helix, and the Kemper come up. That's right. Um, and, of course, there are different iterations of each of these products. That's um, right. But basically, Axe effects, Helix, and Kemper, right? So um, I got to thinking, and I was like, you know, really, I had good experiences with older modeling equipment going mm-hmm. pretty far back, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, Talking about, you know, you're playing the HD 500, that's previous generation, but like yep. to go even further back to the Pod XT, um, yeah. I never played my live, but I did use a modeling amp that was based on the models in the Pod XT. Um, yeah. I think and, we both used Flextones in the past. Yeah, that was the Flextone 3XL, is what I was talking about. And then, um, of course, everybody's had a Zoom 505, it seems, and uh, I didn't have good experiences <laughs> with that, but I mean, the point is, um, I want to draw, draw a distinction between consumer modeling technology and what has been used historically by professionals. And right. I think there, I think the price point used to be really a small difference. Like your consumer modeling stuff was like 150 bucks and under. 
and then everything else was like 200 and up. Um, yep. Now it Not seems now. like everything is like 1,000 and up yep. for uh, for professional level. For and, um, yeah. So it's just an, it's an interesting thing. So I want to I want to kind of go through the results like really briefly and I, let's say like eight out of the I think there was twenty people who answered the survey. Eight out of the twenty said that they had a positive modeling experience. Wow. Um, six out of them said they were going direct to the board. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, negative experiences. Um, we had uh, three out of the out of the group. Uh, mm-hmm. One of which also answered that his modeling experience was positive, which was interesting. Um, so, in other words, he'd had negative and positive experiences. That's, that's what oh, I'm okay. taking that to mean. And yeah. then uh, only five of the – actually, there was more than eight people. There was 11 people. And only five people have used three, uh, the big three pro modelers that are out there right now, the AxeFX, the Helix, or the Kemper. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that um, it seems like – there's still people out there that have never touched a modeler. That we've got two respondents that said that. Um, wow! And a lot of the people who are basing their experiences and answering the survey have said that the modeler I used live was older, uh, or when I did it, it was three years ago or more. Um, so it's just interesting. I think there's a. I, I think that people are more accepting of the technology now, as mm-hmm. referenced by the eleven people who said that they had had a positive experience and that they had gone direct to board. Um, I've used like the gamut, you know, from the, like the Digitech RP line all the way up to, you know, I'm using the Helix now. I haven't used that live. Um, But the point is that like, I think you can have good experiences. I just don't think, so like I was having a conversation again with Jeff Biosiadecki of uh, uh, Good Time Music. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a devout like tube amp guy. But even he admits he kind of romanticizes them. And the other thing is, like, if you got them, you would really rather use them. But he also understands that, you know, silent stages are becoming a thing and, like, going into bars and stuff now more frequently. People are asking, like, can you turn down and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think modelers have a place. They're a, they're a necessary tool for certain jobs. And yep. um, we're going to continue to see more of this stuff. I think we might hold the survey again in a couple of years or we might do it next year. Um, yeah. And just see how the the changes, uh, how the times they time. are changing. Yeah, because because I think it would be interesting to to kind of track you know what people's opinions and estimates are on modeling technology. Um, yeah. So. So the the my newest uh, modeling uh, technology uh, experience has been I had to get rid of the TC electronic. Um, I had some some uh, software issues. Uh, that were happening, and I just didn't want to have to go through. Plus, it was nightmare. just plain fucking hard to use. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was really hard to menu through it. Um, but that hasn't changed a lot. I got to be honest with you, the HD 500X interface, which obviously is not that young. Um, what is that? Two thousand and seven? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was like seven or eight years old, nine years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. It's about. It, yeah, that's right. It's about 2012, I think we found out. 2011, 2012, yeah, we, we went and looked back, and it was it's quite a few years old. So um, the reason I'm using this right now is just as a as a stopgap measure until we move move further um, and figure out what's going on. So obviously, I'm I'm working with two bands, and it's kind of got to do it's got to do the floor modeling thing, and it's got to do the floor pedaling thing, and that's two different things. And Dave was helping me. Uh, work through the pedal side of it, 
because the modeling side of it isn't too bad, but the pedaling side of it is just crazy um, for me. Anyway, um, so uh, what I found is uh, this is this is what I've been seeing that is diff- the most difficult thing that that comes to it: hearing yourself and and responding and and um, uh, getting a feel for what. You know, because we all feed, we all play feedback wise um, to what we hear. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing, especially for people who are used to using tube amps, is there's a, you're used to a push and pull between you and the feedback of the sound and then the way that comes out. Um, where I've been on stage where I couldn't hear myself at all and I've been playing from memory. Literally just, um, and that we're going to talk about groove tonight. We're going to talk about how, how important that is um, to have a groove. So, I don't want to go too far too far down the line on that, but um, let's just say it can be going direct to the board. The hardest thing in the world is hearing yourself at that point, getting getting the feedback from the equipment and and hearing what you can what you're going to get out. Of yeah, it. and I think that's why you're seeing more and more products marketed at um, players monitoring themselves on stage with an actual speaker. So yeah. this whole FR FR quote unquote revolution that's going on is more or less based on the fact that. Um, in a lot of these little bar bands, guys aren't, they don't use a personal monitoring system. No. A lot of times they're using the mains just right. to be able to hear the vocal and their guitar amp is propped up and pointed at them. And when you take that away from them, yep. like they have no wedge or anything. And so immediately it right. becomes this like struggle of using the mains. So then of course, everybody's like, oh, you got to get this, that, you know, sound. And then of course people are like, oh, well, this is like a real amp. And then you go down that yep. whole thing. It's yep. like it's not really supposed to sound like a real amp. It's supposed right. to sound like a recorded tone. Yes, that's that's I, the goal. I mean, that is that is a huge difference. It's a giant distinction. I mean, you're talking about putting things through a filter is basically what right. you're doing. So, Absolutely, it's almost like you already went into the studio, put a microphone on it, and recorded it. Yes, I mean, exactly. not like it. That is that's what you're what getting it's doing. Back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I gotta say something. I am a little jealous of the Pod HD 500 you have because yeah. your my your amp models and your cabinet models. Your amp models are fine. The cabinet models allow you to actually place the microphone either on right. axis or off axis. Yeah. And the Helix does not allow you to do this. Really? No. I am surprised. I'm shocked. And I'm not really sure, but I think that like the SM57 is on axis. The MD-241 is on axis, but it's like each one has like a different position. And what they did was they tried to put it in the place that they thought it sounded that, best. Yeah. But my whole thing is like, look, I don't want to hear an SM-57 pushed up to the damn cone. <laughs> like, right? No. no, don't put it in the center. What's wrong with you? Even um, in real life, I don't do that. I put it <laughs> off axis. And there's mic techniques for using, um, you know, use like a 30, or I guess it's a 45 degree angle. Yep. And you place it up against the cone and yeah. like one on, on axis and Yeah, but what it, I know, normally do if this was and, if this is I'm and people I'm pointing to my uh pop filter here. If this was my uh speaker cone, Yeah, you want it to be I'd be mo- over here. Most people here. want it on the middle of the like the middle of the yeah. cone. I'm right out here. Maybe yep. maybe a little closer to the center, but like on the middle yep. of the cone somewhere. Yep. I don't see anybody who really does the whole like I'm gonna mic the edge of the cone, but I have seen people do it in studio situations for, for certain things. But in studio I can see reasoning for that. And yeah. I put it I put it four inches off. A lot of people are putting it a lot closer. I'm about four yeah. inches. Well, no, maybe two inches off. Well, in studio, the reason why they do that, and just so our listeners know, like, is because they they look at the recorded sound 
as and and the microphone placement and all that as a form of EQ. And so they'll even use phasing as a, a form of that EQ. So yes. they don't mind having a microphone that's slightly out of phase if it's doing the right stuff. Right, because um, they can line that up. Right. So um, if you don't know what phasing is, that's the distance between it, – it's not the distance. So you have a waveform, right? It goes it goes up and it goes down. It goes down, up, and it goes down, right? Now, if you take if you take a microphone and you turn it the other way so it's pointing you instead of the amp – it's going to go down and then up and then down and then up. So you're right. going to be completely out of phase, which means you're going to get right. cancellation. So yep. if it's complete, if it's, if it's literally the same distance from the speaker, except that the, the um, element is turned the other way, that's what will happen. You will actually right. cancel out your guitar sound. Right. Um, I don't know that you could actually do that. I don't know uh, if you in, want in the to real do world. That, yeah, sure. yeah, in the real world, <laughs> I don't think that's possible, but the, the idea is that you want to have phase alignment. So right. there's, all kinds of calculations and stuff you can do so that you can even make sure that like two microphones that are of different distances are in phase because right. that's where it gets challenging is that if you have two microphones that are different distances from the sound source, you can get variations of phase and then that can right. cause like comb filtering and that kind of stuff. And in the days of uh, using tape and, and uh, stuff, if you were, if you were using those mics and they were on the same track, yeah, that could be, that could be very dangerous. Yeah. But you can always adjust phase and can, post too. So, right. But you can, well, you can do it as long as they're in different tracks. Right. The problem that runs, you can run into, um, and, and obviously you would usually put, you wouldn't put two microphones on the same track. No, no, not, not today. <laughs> no. And today, yeah. you did. But back in the days of four tracks and, you know, and eight tracks, that, there wasn't, that wasn't unheard of. Now, what you would, um, what they would do is, um, like, let's say that you had um, a 4x12 and you had this was not uncommon i think i don't think it's uncommon today is to have greenbacks in one um, half of the cabinet and another type of um, or or even to use two separate cabinets with different speakers yeah. in them yeah um, and so you would have to make sure because even though you think those cabinets are putting out at the same time the, there is a difference um even if they're sure. daisy chained sure sure um and of course even just the fact that they're if they're in the same room Yep. And those microphones picking up bleed yep. from one another can be that an issue, good. and and of yep. course, like if you if you think we got it bad, just talking about putting two two microphones in different guitar cabinets or whatever. Think about drummers. Think yeah. about how many microphones are going a drum kit, and how you have to phase line and adjust everything. It's just nuts. So, yep. There's your Which there's your, there's so your uh, many... recording science lesson for the day. Phasing right. sucks. <laughs> Which is why so many, so, mo- so many um, recording engineers, good, bad, or indifferent, have gone to using triggers and, and uh, um, yeah, because using- once you got a good sound that you can sample, like you can yep. use it over and over to replace shitty sounds. So, um, is it taking the soul out of music? Sure, absolutely. But is it necessary sometimes? Yep. If you've heard some really bad drum recordings before, yes, yes, it is necessary at times. Right. Um, no. So- yeah, what David was talking about, where you can use the phasing to remove um, or to do some EQing, is if you're moving the microphone off, wherever you put the microphone on the speaker is going to be a different EQ curve yeah. for those locations. So towards the center, correct me if I'm wrong, David, towards the center, it tends to have more high. It's Yeah, it's brighter. And you'll, right. you'll pick up the higher frequencies because that's where they come off the cone. And as you get towards the edge, it's more dark. And then Which when is, you get to the very edge, it actually has a lot of a lot of um, high end to it, but it's yep. but it's like a super scoop sound, and yep. actually it's it's a weird scoop. It's not like a V; it's like flat in the middle. Right. It's a really weird sound. Um, Which is why you'll see some engineers, even in a 
um, a two by twelve or whatever situation, they'll have more than one speak, more than one microphone on the yeah. same speaker. Yeah. And you're like, why are they miking the same speaker? And it's because they're trying to pick up those those places. Then they'll put them in EQ. Yeah, then they blend them. Or just to have options, like, and that's right. and that's a lot of times you'll see when you see a four piece band that has like a sixty four track mix, it's because they like they're only playing like you know twenty of those tracks or something at any given time, but like they have all these other tracks should they need them, should they decide yep. that they really should have put that MD two four one on there <laughs> or the four twenty one rather, um, yep. they could just literally punch that in and say, okay, here we go, go I'm going to use that right, yep. um, which is kind of silly because. Now with direct boxes and doing single, like you can, you can literally just reamp. You can take right. a dry signal from the guitar, put it in the DAW, and then like later on take that dry signal out and run it through an amp and record that. Um, I think that's probably a lot more common now than to see like some guy with forty microphones on one speaker. Yeah, the another brick in the wall part two uh, solo was tracked with a Les Paul with P nineties direct to the board, and then they reamped it. Yeah, yeah. Just and that's as an not, example. That's not uncommon. No. Um, the, actually, the crazy story I want to bring up is uh, when they did, uh, I think it was P-Cells, when Megadeth did that record. Oh, yeah, P-Cells, I was buying, yeah. Yeah, when they did that record, they they mic'd up like 200 amps or something Yeah, looking for the guitar <laughs> tone, and like they had like 20 going at any given time, and were just like <laughs> like muting the ones they didn't want, and it was just a whole thing. They They went through a really extensive process to get those guitar sounds. And it shows, like for that yeah. time, the the sounds on that record were just unbelievably good. Yeah, um, yeah, I was gonna say it, it I, definitely shows the. the I was, it was worth it. I was listening to Death Magnetic yesterday, and I uh-huh. was just like, "Wow, has Metallica's guitar tones really always been this bad?" Like, <sighs> no. I, I just <laughs> no, they have I'd like been. To they have they been because <laughs> I've listened to Master of Puppets right after, and yeah. they was they were equally bad. Um, oh really? <laughs> yeah, they were. So actually. If anything, Death Magnetic, like, and when I first heard it, I said, oh, it's very, like, the album is super perfect. Like, they, they time-aligned everything, obviously, and then, like, all the vocals have been pitch-corrected, and it's, it's yeah. I mean, oh, it's yeah. been done to death. But it's funny because the guitar sounds are, like, they sound like they've been run through, through a Sonic Maximizer, a BBE Sonic Maximizer, <laughs> and it, to the point where um, the, even the rectifier just kind of really sounds pretty nasty and, like, ugly. And I, I, I get it. Like, they're playing metal. What do you expect? I mean, and they've always yeah, kind of been on the punkier side of metal. So. I was going to say, I really liked their fizzy, I say fizzy, um, guitar tones they had early on, like um, when you look back. at It was kind uh, of similar to the Black Album in places. Like, yeah. that was when they just started branching out and using really different amplifiers and stuff. They, they were using they, Mark Were they Vibes using boogies or Mark the whole time? Or, yeah. yeah well, they, oh, so... Hetfield's had an on again, off again relationship with Mark II C pluses, and, I, and yeah. Hammond is way into to Randall's. Yep. and he's had um, he's had the the uh, like what they now the synergy system is like the module based Randall's, right. um, and he had his own modules and stuff for him. I think he has a signature amp with him now. Um, he and actually the funny part is his tone is the one I actually like less. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and which is kind of funny because it's like he's the lead player. You figure you know he'd have his shit together, but. Yeah. He always just seems like he's like the little kid in the band. I don't know why. He comes across like a little kid. He's, and he's, he's fun, and I think he's older and fun than him. And funny to watch. Yeah, yeah. So he's, um, it's funny to see him. He's so animated. But anyway, so we we, we wanted to talk. You had some other notes tonight. Did uh, we had other did. topics to cover? Let's talk some. Let's talk some other topics first. We yeah, because I'm going to make you guys all wait for the uh, for the the riffage later. So and for the secret word. 
I don't know okay, if I'm so, going to be able to hold my guitar up this entire episode. Holy crap. <laughs> my back. I should have, yeah. I should have brought a stand and stood it on the floor here or something. Yep. I didn't do that. I'm stupid. So, all right. Uh, because that was topic number one, we're going to, oh, we got to talk about Stevie T. If it's not in your notes, we need to talk oh, about yeah, that. We, so, so I, I got to say this. So Stevie T came out this week with a, with a video about, um, the, the, um, the halftime show, love or hate the halftime show. This is what I'm going to say positive. Cause I'm not going to, I'm not here to bash Adam Levine or oh, I hate his music or whatever. I'm just going to say this. He, he sang live. And it's hard to do when you're when there's that many people screaming at you. And he played guitar live. That was obvious too. And so, yes, you're right. If anybody's out there going, well, it was simple and it was that's right, it was, because you're trying to hear note definition um in your in-ears with tens of thousands of people screaming in the background. That's what he did. You're right. But hey, guess what? He did it. I think that but Stevie T went through and was like bashing on him and I thought that was a little bit um <coughs> a little bit uh over the top the way he bashed on his playing. I'm like, look, dude, he didn't play wrong. He didn't play any wrong notes. He yeah. was in he was in tune, he was in key, and you still gotta find a way to bash on him. And and the one thing he also bashed on was the fact that he picked up an Ibanez gem at the end. And then yeah, I gotta admit, a gem was he could have picked up a squire it was about, for what it was he, about the he just color went, and <laughs> It was about the color yeah. and the modern look. That's what he was going for. But like, all right. So here's my here's my rub with Stevie T. And it, right, it, it really goes back to to some videos he's done right before this. Um, since the Richard Benson video that we covered earlier, and kind of like talked about Richard Benson on the show, and like what what Richard Benson means, and what whether or not that was legit. Like right. Richard Benson is one thing. But yep. now it's become a pattern of him basically just making videos mocking other guitar players, yeah, and singers and whatever. And it, I know he's trying to produce content, but this is not the right way to go about doing it. No, like he needs to he needs to get back on track with what he does best, which is like you know the translation videos and things like that. That those are hysterical. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually going to take it upon myself, and I'm going to write him an email, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him to come on the show if he wants to. But I'm but I'm going to yeah. write him an email, and I'm going to tell him, hey, look. You know, you got to realize because he's he's talked openly on the show. He's got some anxiety disorders and things like this, and yeah. he wants people to be able to get help. And I'm gonna say, like, dude, you don't realize this, but you're inciting that. Yeah, like you're making it worse for people who may yeah. have these problems or may not. Well, it's it's yeah, it kind of feels like a case of um, uh, hurt people hurting people. Um, you know, it, it tend to. Bully people the same you as you. Get I don't bullied. think he even realizes he's and, he's and do, right. Doing they don't, it. He doesn't realize he's doing it. But here's here's the thing. One of the one of the basis of comedy is that you have to know when to to turn the comedy onto yourself. You know what I mean. So you have to self uh, self deprecate and and put that on on you. Because otherwise, you've lost the ability to, um, you know, to have good humor. Because yes. in his case, it's now just coming off like I'm better than these people, and right. yeah, and and or like let's let's make fun of these people. Yeah, and it, that's yep. That's the dangerous part. Suddenly, it <sighs> becomes I'm better than you, and and it it feels like bragging, and it, and it comes across bragging. And that's kind of that's kind of um, yeah. Okay. 
So <clears throat> let's, let's moving keep- on. I'm going to reach out to him. If anybody else wants to, I would recommend you do the same. Send him an yeah. email. Send him a message on YouTube. And if you um, know him, tell him we'd love to have him on here and and maybe uh, yeah, dude, I'm a fan, but like I'm not yeah. a fan of what you're doing right now, and right. that's right. that's where I'm at. So and we still love you. We still yeah. think you're a great guy. Sorry. All right, so um, I'm going to go to uh, um, my. I'm going to do these backwards because the playing in the groove was the first one that I had written down. So. Uh, the importance of tuning and tuning methods. So this week, Dave and I had a discussion about <laughs> That's tuning. That's funny. That's funny because I have the what, helix on the floor. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. What was the what was the thing? The impetus of that? You you had right. sent me a message. What did I send you a message about? Remember, you, you sent oh, me a message oh, about. Oh gosh, somebody. I remember talking, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go remember ahead, go now. Ahead. Yeah, I do. Remember. So I'm a member of the Shred Group on on yep. Facebook, and I forget what the name of the group is, but it's but it's one of the big ones. Right. And um, guy posted there the other day. He's like, my friend says that real professional guitar players don't use tuners; that they could just use their ears. <sighs> and I just went off on this dude, and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> uh, no professional guitarist I've ever seen uh, doesn't use a tuner. I don't right. care if they have perfect pitch. Steve Vai is one of the people that's been documented as having perfect pitch. And you right. look, what's the first pedal on his board? It's a tuner, and what's it's the first pedal? His what's the first pedal that Thomas Nordag, his guitar tech, plugs into? It's a tuner. In fact, That's I've a- seen him use the Boss uh, the Boss pedal tuner on yep. his uh, instead of a Peterson strobe. So, I mean, don't let anybody ever tell you that tuning is not important with an, with an apparatus of some sort. Yes. Tuning tuning fork, pitch pipes, yep. piano. I don't care what you're using to tune, but right. everybody in the band has to use the same. Similar the, apparatus we, or whatever. That's the, the same thing. So that's right. I, I was just going to say everybody should be using the same thing. If you're using a TU2, uh, um, I don't agree with that. I don't agree. I know on, where you're on. going with this, but I don't agree with that. I, I, I I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stretch this. This is a stretch. Okay. If you're right. in the studio, everybody should use the same tuner. If you're live, if you're using a TU2 and somebody else is using a Peterson and somebody else is using whatever, you're using a T3, you're fine. Because the the the, the only thing that would change the, the reference 440 is the input um, power that you're all getting. So you should be okay in a, in a regular, like, bar. Uh, honestly, you're going to be less than a tenth of a cent off anyway. Right. Even right. if the power was different. I, I don't even think in the studio it's it's really that important to be honest with you now yeah. if you're paying a million dollars to make a record yeah, yeah i would probably do it anyway just to be just to you know hell i'm doing it anyway you know might as well yeah. but yeah. but i don't think it's that critical i don't think anybody's going to be able to tell a difference now people who people who wonder about that pros don't use yeah. guitar tuners if you've ever <laughs> listened to an acdc record and tried sorry, to play I wrong, find it funny i can't stop laughing way along um uh, you'll find out that they did not have perfect pitch. So any given song is off standard tuning by some amount of sense and almost never the same amount, unless they would track yeah, it the same yeah. day. Because what happened is Angus's guitar, he would go in and he'd tune it to his ear and then everybody would tune to him because yeah, they yeah, were yeah. a guitar-based band. And so his his SG was the standard tuning, <laughs> whatever it happened to be that day. And that's why they're they're off like never never a full half but never straight on they're always like yeah, somewhere in between. Same thing with Megadeth too. Like 
That yeah. piece sells record, at least the song piece sells, is somewhere between E and E flat. Yeah. And it just drives me nuts. Because, like, if you want to play along with it, you're like, what the hell, man? Like, why, yeah. did, why did the engineer let you get by with that? Now, now other times, um, if you listen to some of your old records, it's off. It's not because they yeah, didn't they use tuners. Yeah, they slowed the tape down. Right. The, tu- the tapes were slowed down or sped up. A lot of times what would happen is they would speed the tapes up. Now, the reason for that is because... Um, and anybody that's you know a singer and, and a producer and whatever will tell you higher pitches are higher energy in the mind right. mind's eye it feels faster it feels like it's going so that's why um, uh, they'll they'll speed it up so yeah that, yeah that's an old old trick and that's usually done during the mastering phase or like when they yep. do a mix down to send a master they'll um, they'll speed it up then at that point so you remember the band the darkness right yeah. So there's a the radio hit that they had, um, I believe, in a thing called Love. If you listen to the radio edit, it's in G. If you listen to the album, it's in F sharp. It was recorded in F sharp, and they pushed it to G. Whoever mixed it for the, the radio pushed it to G to get it higher energy. Actually, the reason they did it was to get it lower in length. Was it really? Yes. Because yeah, they, wanted, like, they wanted to push it, it for more airplay. Oh yeah, yeah, for three minutes and whatever. That's why the radio stuff. edit is higher than the than the album cut, and it's faster. And the stupid part is he can play it in G. <laughs> yeah. So and I mean that's G. Th- th- yeah. I mean like <laughs> that's not even the highest note in his range. Like that's no. what's stupid about it. But um, they they've never played that song in G live to my knowledge. I've always seen it done in F. So F, or F sharp. Yeah, yeah. F sharp. Um, because I think they tune flat anyway. So. Which is yeah. funny, you know, with a range like that, why the hell would you tune flat? But oh, I know. they just want them chunkier guitars, I guess. What's um, his name? Dan? Uh, uh, no, that Justin Hawkins. Justin. Dan Hawkins is his brother. He's Dan the other him. guitar player in the band. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Justin could definitely. I'm a those. big, big Darkness fan. Darkness fan, yeah. So, I knew yeah. it was Dan and Justin, but I couldn't remember which one was the same. Yeah, yeah. And surprisingly, both those guys are like really intellectual type oh, people. Yeah. And yeah, so. Uh, Justin Hawkins was an accountant before uh, he decided yeah. he was going to become a rock star. He quit his job and he basically just started drinking and doing drugs all day. Yeah. Uh, it, he's, he basically fake it till you make it, and then yeah. like then he ended up in rehab and broke the band up, and like yeah. it was the whole thing. <laughs> yep, they got back together. Yeah, yeah, he's been sober since they got back together. But uh. yeah, I, yeah, I always the first time I saw them, I thought, is that the basis for Spinal Tap? Yeah, dude, like he's totally modeled after the band. <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah, he Harry tries Shearer to, yeah, looks just like him. He looks, the, he tries to look like Harry Shearer, but um, yeah. So, which anyway. is funny because I was talking to uh, um, uh, the guy from Line Six, Richie, and he was saying that. Uh, oh, you're talking Frank, about uh, Frank, Frank, yeah, yeah Frank, and um, he was. Uh, I said, "Oh, it's funny because um, you know that that there's several." Pictures from Nam where people are standing next to a uh, Ampeg that looks like it's oversized. It is. It's eleven feet tall. Yeah, yeah. That's a real thing. So they had him play Big Bottom from Spinal Tap through that. Oh, and that's I amazing. Said, it was actually him, functional. That's amazing. Yeah, it it functions. It's it's like I want to say he said eleven thousand watch. I would sing some of the lyrics from like Big Bottom, but I would really rather avoid the hate mail yeah. right now. <laughs> and what's funny is he said I said so. Did he break into any of his voices? Because he's one of the vo- he's one of the biggest voices on The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of the town voices. He's Mister Mister uh, Smothers. He, yeah, he's Smithers. a lot of different people on that show. He's Mister Burns. He's all kinds of people. Yeah. <clears throat> and um. Um, Frank said, "No, he never breaks character." 
No, when he doesn't. When he is, when he is the guy from, uh, which is amazing that Final he does Cap. voices because most of those guys that don't do that like can't do voice acting. Yeah. So, yeah. so he's he's definitely a character actor, yeah. which is funny because uh, um, he's he's really funny. Really, yeah. Good, very I was talented. watching some some Spinal Tap. Uh, like they did a they did another documentary thing that they put on YouTube, and I was watching cracking up the other day. They they have a they have an acoustic show that they do. Oh yeah, I know. They're so funny. These guys are so funny. Um, they I definitely love the cleaner are version of talented. Uh, that other band that everybody likes that made the P Melter. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are pretty much yeah, Steel Panther. Yep. yep. All yeah. right, so Leo Fender's lost guitar. So David sent me a, um, a that's a cool video by the way. message, and um, I'll try to remember to post this in the group. So Leo Fender um, was working on a guitar with some really crazy pickup design um, and guitar design, but he didn't have the actual guitar designed. When I say that, it was like in a in a Telecaster looking thing um, that they had at C uh, at CNL Laboratories. Yeah, um, that's yeah. See. CF Research? Clarence CLF. CLF. Clarence Leo Fender. That's it. Clarence Leo Fender. Why can I not remember that myself? Our half of the secret phrase is Fender. Visit Great Lakes Guitar Pickup's Facebook page for the other half, then email the completed phrase to questions at practicalguitarist.com by Sunday, February 17th, 2019. Tell your friends. And good luck. I know. It's like, because, yeah, because he went by his middle name, like uh, some people do. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so uh, Leo, Leo Fender, um, when he passed away, <clears throat> this, this kind of dropped. Well, I guess uh, uh, they're going to produce him. Uh, I, I shouldn't say I guess. They are. Well, um, and they made an announcement on an interview with uh, Anderton while Anderton's was in... Uh, yeah, they invited um, them out Dan. there because Andertons yeah. is the UK dealer for GNL now. They didn't have any UK representation for a while. There's right. a whole thing about it. There's a video on YouTube with a shop owner just ranting and raving. Um, yep. So they were invited out there, and then they basically took them on the tour of Leo Fender's office in this video, yep. and then they they show them. But we got something we want to show you, um, and it was clear that they had already told the guys like that they were going to see right. something. And then they right. took them into another room, and they showed them this CLF research prototype guitar, and they showed them yeah. actually some of the designs that kind of went into it, and how they amalgamated those designs. And uh, it's a pretty cool piece. It's a Telecaster-looking thing with a, a different upper uh, bout. You know, it's, it's like slightly yep. elongated or whatever. And yep. it has um, these crazy active pickups in it, which yeah. are which predate pretty much every other manufacturer's active pickups. Now, um, yes, yeah, EMG might have been around when that was. Oh no, no, the, EMG was late seventies, mid to late seventies. Yeah, I think oh, they started seventy five. Yeah, were no, that would, they, the prototype date on those were sixty nine. Yeah. When? Oh when yeah, they, because because he was working on it when he, he sold was working off the CBS for CBS when yeah. he designed them. So mm-hmm. yeah, crazy stuff. And uh, there's more guitars coming from them. And they've been digging through his desk, and they're like, man, every time we come in here, that was the fun part about the videos. Like, every time we come yeah. in here, we see something else that we're like, what in the hell? Like, 
what, where is this? Why is this not being produced? And so I, can, I can tell you this: you know, somebody has data mined that thing, and they've they've got a yeah, big, they they, they got ten years worth of designs, and they're just like yeah. like, well, well, we're not going to release Guitar next year. We'll hold on to that for like three or four years. But this is um, this is what I took from it. I, not that I'm not, you know, that I'm not a crazy um, Fender guy, but I I took this from it. Um, with the advent of the new uh, um, Greg Cock guitar. Which you and I were both underwhelmed by how it looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really. I mean, it's just really, the look. I'm sure it plays great. It's the oh, look. Yeah, yeah, I can't stand I just, the look. Uh, it, it's just I don't even know why the pick guard. Why the pick? I guard? think they said somebody was saying they were going to get that best in show at Nam, and I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah, I saw that the other day. I was like, really? Um, I, I guess that, that some people like that. It, it, if you haven't seen it, the pick guard is kind of like just a straight line. With like yeah, a, it's, it's just got no. Just go look at a picture. Don't yeah. don't waste your time describing it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it, yeah, it looks like the head or, or the end of a pencil with the eraser. That's about it. Um, and it, and it's not like it's not like it, it functional. I mean, I would think that Greg would have said, you know what, screw it, take the pet guard off and just make it the way it is. But anyway, um, that said, the the fluence pickups that he's using, yeah, they're great. His his set, yeah, it great. feels like that. Now I'm not saying that they knew anything about uh, the, the design that we're about to see from Fender, but it felt like a lot of what they're talking about that's in the fluence because I was listening to the technology behind both of them is re- you know it is very close to the expected use. I'm not saying yeah the yeah no 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 right the, the same, same concepts the idea of having like right. a lower output pickup that's that doesn't have to have as many winds. Right. Um, the only difference really is that that the fluence pickups are done with a solid coil. Right. Whereas, uh, they, you know, they're using wire, wire actually wire, but you see, wire, like, wire, yeah. you see the bobbins on that. Like, yeah. there's almost no wire on those pickups. Yeah. And, like, and okay, we're just going to put a little wire right here. <laughs> actually, the one that that amazed me was the fact that that predates uh, the Les Paul recording, which was yeah. the the high impedance pickups and all that. That was low what mid seventies, whatever. Um, yeah, because he did, I think he, that came out. I want to say like seventy three or seventy four when he started. Yeah, I want to say it was seventy four, but it might have been seventy. So he was like, that's one of the few times where we could say that, like, you know, Fender with Leo Fender was being more innovative, perhaps than Les Paul. And yeah. I don't think those guys ever like saw each other as competition. Like that's another no. thing. Maybe maybe they did. I don't know. But it's just really interesting to see like they're on these parallel trajectories and doing yeah. the same things. And then when, at some point, the guitar playing community is like, fuck you guys, we're not going to use your innovations. Like, we're just going to stick with the same shit we've been using for like 30 years. 40 so, what I saw, yeah, what I saw recently, uh, uh, Rabia Massad said something like this, and RNA Music said something like this. And I kind of got to agree. There's really only three kind of guitars in all reality you got acoustics, which, which is all Martins, right? Everything's based on Martin designs. You've got electric guitars fa- based on Fender designs, and you've got electric guitars based on Gibson designs. That's pretty much it. All right. Um, all right. Now, I'll, I'm not I'll, saying uh, – now, now th- the vast is, majority, because right. there are definitely some shit out there that is has nothing to do with either of those brands. Steinberger has nothing to do with those brands. Um, I would even argue uh, – who's the, the acoustic? Uh, Breedlove. Breedlove. They're yeah, Breedlove. so far removed from what you would get out of a Martin that – you know, or, or Godan, another Emerald. 
I don't uh, know if you've seen Emerald Guitars. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the carbon fiber bodies and all that. Yep, which Rain Song, same yeah. thing. So, yeah, so obviously generalizing, but but the vast majority of guitar players own one of those types of guitars. They own a Fender, right. a Fender, a Fender or a Fender knockoff, a Gibson yep. or a Gibson knockoff, or yep. um, you know, a Martin knockoff. Yep. Where I would <laughs> I would still, you know, I've always when somebody asks me to describe a uh, a PRS, I say it's like a Strat and a Les Paul had a baby. Yeah, that's, that's a, what he wants everybody to think. I, I think it's its own unique thing. I do too. But if I mean, it, it, when it comes to feel and play, you know, to try to because again, yeah, you mean, can't really describe. It's like trying to describe something that you've never tasted, but tastes like chicken. Yeah, I don't know. I you know, I actually <laughs> played my Gibsons the other day for the first time in a while, and my Gibson and my uh, I actually played my. Uh, the Shenzhen, the Red Unicorn, and yep. uh, they, I don't know, they're, they're, like, for some of the stuff I've been playing lately, because I'm so accustomed to playing on an S500 now, that it's actually, like, physically hard for me to adjust. Like, really yeah. physically hard for me to adjust. And it just it just brought to mind that, like, I need to play those guitars more, so that yep. that's not an issue anymore. Yeah, I've been playing this one all week, exclusively. That's the uh, versus FG. the uh, yeah the SG. He's versus, molesting right now with his hands. Yeah. He's like rubbing them all over it. Oh, I love the feel of his guitar. I love the smell he, of it. He's I love trying the feel to get that it. nitro is, to wear off on his clothes. Yeah, and that's just it. The nitro is still too perfect. Um, I need to I need to get some wear right in here. You just need some acetone. It'll be fine. No, not gonna fake wear it. It's gonna be real wear. No, acetone yeah. will not wear it. It will just rub the paint yeah, right I off. I was going to say, it's going to take the paint <laughs> off. Um, I love this guitar. I really do. Uh, so, anyway, uh, looking forward to seeing that guitar. I'm looking forward to seeing what... Uh, they had a prototype. I don't... Of course, the prototypes could change, you know. Yeah, yeah. It'll be available. I, I have a feeling it's not going to change that much. I don't think yeah. they would have been showing it off knowing that it was going to change a lot. And then they showed yeah. the Doheny with the double MFDs. Which yes. was really interesting. Um, so the Doheny, of course, is a you know Gino um, version of a, a Jazzmaster or, or a yep. Mustang. Well, not a Mustang. The offset. Yeah, it's an offset, guitar. right? So um, they got a lot of shit for it because it was like, oh, you're only doing it because everybody else is doing it. Well, listen, they have Leo Fender's heritage all all over the company. I mean, yep. they they almost have to do it at some point. Right. And uh, what they put out was actually a really interesting guitar. They put MFD pickups. Yeah. that were that were of a unique design into a uh, offset, and it's a pretty cool sounding and pretty cool playing piece. Um, I think for people who don't know what MFD is, so uh, magnetic field it, design. Yes, explain which, how that works with the pole pieces because it's very important all right. there. So there, yeah, there's these pickups are more true, at least based on our conversations with Nick Bombers, to the original Strap prototype pickups, which they're you know regular six pole piece. Um, the poles are, uh, I believe they're steel pole in this. They're, I think they're stainless. And the the idea is that you have a ceramic bar magnet underneath the pickup that does yep. the majority of the work, and then the steel being touched to that magnetic pole piece then magnetizes it. And then, of course, they have hex screws, and they're all individually height adjustable. You know those staggered coil, or uh, the staggered, you know, magnets that you get on a, a regular strap pickup? No more of that bullshit. You can right. adjust them as needed. Which is wonderful because then you don't have to like compress them in or pull them out, like do all that craziness to try and get even string balance or tr- or or split the difference, like and say, "Well, I need my G to be louder, so I'm going to raise the treble side." 
and then right. lower the bass side. It's just that that stuff's psychotic and it's gone. You don't have to do it anymore. Plus, they sound they're a way hotter singer coil. They have a lot more body and a lot more sparkle than you'll ever get out of a humbucker, at least in my opinion, unless yep. you go like to really, really um unless you go to a really like high output, you know, style humbucker that ha- well not high output, but uh, but uh, um one with a EMGs, active pickups. Right. That's what I'm thinking right. of. I'm, I'm, the name is escaping me. But um, really cool pickups. You can play metal with S500 pickups, which is pretty incredible. Uh, they, and they use MFDs. So yeah. all the different MFD pickups, and then now they're doing a humbucker based around the same principle with like two ceramic bar magnets and then basically wiring them, you know, the ones reverse wound and yep. doing the same thing. So really cool stuff coming from them. It'll be interesting to see... Uh, you know, when they'll hit shelves and what they're going to retail for and stuff. The CLF stuff is typically over a thousand bucks, but it's not, they're not expensive. Like beyond, I mean, yes, a thousand dollars for a lot of people is like, that's more money than I want to spend on a guitar. But right. if you're, if you're in the market for like a, you know, a, a professional quality instrument, they're yep. right there in, you know, in the same category with most of your mid-level strats and tellies. Yeah. So yeah. I have a feeling these will be too. Um, yeah, but uh, they don't really make anything that's like super extravagant, expensive. At least not that I've seen. I think they're starting. They want to try go to, to the get there. Shop. Now, even the custom. This is custom shop. This was yeah, fifteen hundred dollars. It was a custom shop. Yeah, but you admit that you got that for a good deal too. No, no, I paid the price that anybody pays when they go to the custom shop for the guitar. That's that's the thing. So their custom shop is not like everybody else's custom shop. They do do some of the crazy stuff. If you want to call an order, you know, I want a GNOV. Like, my understanding is they're starting to take on those kind of orders. But their yeah. idea of the custom shop is really just like, here's an S500 and I want this, this, and this on it. Right? right. So they they also have a standard line now, which they didn't have before. Right. Um, it used to be all custom. So, like, the dealer would order what they wanted on the guitars. They'd make it for them. Now they're doing, they have, like, three product lines. They have... CLF Research, which is more like the the 80s type GNLs. They have the um the custom shop, and then they have was it the uh Fullerton Standard, which the Fullerton Standard is, of course, they're like, this is what people normally order, so we're gonna offer this at a cheaper price. I think they're right around a thousand dollars. Yeah. Um and I don't they don't make all their models in Fullerton Standard, and it's a limited color selection. So if you want to go crazy, you gotta go in a custom shop and then you're gonna, you're gonna pay a little bit more, but it's not it's not like I can't afford it because it says custom shop on it kind of thing. <clears throat> right. Um, whereas, you know, custom shop vendors are three grand. That's, I mean, that's where the most of them sit and they go all the way up to 20,000, depending on what you want to do. Yep. So whole other animal. And I wouldn't consider that just because it says custom shop doesn't, don't think that means like truly bespoke, like whatever the hell you want to do, you know, private builder kind of deal. It's nothing like that. You want that? Yeah. Go to Jackson, go to Charvel. Um, so anyway, I've got MFDs in this thing and I just realized I, I have it turned on so we could, we could see what they sound like if you, if, if, if yeah, go for it. cause we've talked about it on the show a lot. So, yeah. um, I'm going to hit my clean sound yep. and I'll give you like, now I'm on the neck pickup.
Now, I don't know if it's coming across, but um, these pickups have an, an insane amount of bass. And But the cool thing is the uh, GNL electronics give you a bass roll-off. And, of course, you treble. That sounds wacky. Yeah, I mean, you, you can blend. Um, typically, I have my bass rolled all the way up, but, I mean, if you really want to be, like, versatile and be able to go into any guitar amp that you plug into, you just roll back a quarter, yep. and then you're you're ready to rock and roll through whatever. And that helps with fuzz, too. That's actually why I love these guitars, because I can use my fuzz face with them, and I can roll back the bass and get it, like, way clearer um, yeah. than you're going to get traditionally. So, but that's... Yeah, I mean, we're... These pickups are... As you can hear, they're a lot more P90-like than your traditional single quills. And they do do the quack thing, too. That's the uh, in-between bridge, and then we'll do the in-between neck. what you would expect and that's I'm just making sure my controls are all the way up and then you get the yeah you know so yep. it's got it's got a wide variety of stuff it can do um Jim that's probably the first time you've ever heard this thing in high quality I don't know how well, high quality is on your end it's, but it's coming through terribly because there's some reason it's <laughs> Coming through squawky and, and here I'm uh, waiting for the, the, I'm waiting for uh, Jim to like give me some decent details and, compressing like, like, the hell out of the shit. audio. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Yeah, no, yeah. It, 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 as long as it sounds good in your headphones, that's the important thing. It's that's your okay. Logic is, it's not great, but logic is uh, uh, looking at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I've got a pretty dirty tone dialed in right now. You know, uh, so I, I'm I'm been playing ZZ Top for a while. So, but I, I can reach over and, tr- and switch it. Yeah, your so, your audio is super hot. It's gonna be real fun to mix. Just yeah, that. but but <laughs> you know the one thing that like David, let me see, let me see if I can grab a clean uh, a clean tone real quick. This is super clean. So if 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 um. You were to play this. This is this is clean as it gets because there's literally nothing. That's a neck pickup, bridge pickup. Whoops! Probably turn the volume up for it. And uh, but the thing that I was going to get to is so he was talking about that with that tone roll off. All you really do usually with a set of pickups, obviously, is. You know, roll your tone. Yeah, yeah. And it it gets that kind of fuzzy sound, but it's not really, you know, people associate it with jazz. I get the two band EQ, which is which yeah. is nice. It's it's a little bit different. Yeah, and you so can get strat nice sounds out that. of it by doing that. That's that's the cool part. Yeah. So I do like the fact that this thing does not have split coil. Um, <laughs> yeah, because because I think people tend to like. Oh, I'm going to use that all the time, and then you really don't. And and right. honestly, I think 
I think people place too much emphasis on whether a pickup is single coil or humbucker in a lot of cases. Yeah. If you've got a really good set of humbuckers, yes, they're going to sound very different than single coils. But if they're, I mean, if you adjust the amp in a live setting, it's not as important as people think. I mean, watch, uh, you can go find videos of Eric Johnson playing uh, SGs. Yep. And uh, he's got an SG that he loves, and they they use it a lot when they have noisy venues or whatever. And uh, it, I mean, it still sounds great, yeah. <laughs> you know. So yeah. it's about finding the right ones, basically. And exactly. It, it, no two guitars can be exactly alike. Yeah, yeah. And we know like SGs can be thin as hell. They can sound like freaking uh, Telecasters um, if they they, if you're not careful. So and uh, yeah, this one's got a lot of punch. But I've uh, I've been where. I played an SG that just had no balls in the pickup, it, it, especially in a bridge. And you're expecting when you pick them up to get that, you know, that. Uh... And instead, you get something that sounds like this. Yeah. That's what a strat sounds like to me. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's because you're used to playing hotter humbuckers. If you have like a true set of PAF pickups, they're going to be about the same output. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've been playing you know burst buckers obviously before and uh, which is funny because they're like oh that's the most accurate version of a PAF ever made uh, but then they're like super not. freaking hot I'm yeah. like what. <laughs> No, they're not. Yeah, of course it's not. But I have a very light touch. We were talking about that earlier um, also in the group, is the touch that you have that, that affects the way... Like, if, if David picked up my guitar, you know, let me go back to my... Uh, if I went to my ZZ Top thing, you know, I, if, I, if I had this, you know... If I was to put that in David's hands, I'm sure that that would sound a lot different. Th- yeah, than- I, I would play it in different positions too, and that's the other thing. Like, yeah, different play. If you just give the player the chords, like you're going to play a different G chord than I will, probably. We um, were talking about that earlier tonight. You know, when you, you were pl- talking you- about the the chord, he might play it you- at the third fret. I'm going to be up here, you know, at the tenth. And just rocking away with my G chord, you know? Right, so we we were talking about ZZ Top. So this is a good segue to get us towards the, the last topic and uh, t- towards the last topic I had other than the funk um, playing the groove. And that's songs for cover, or covering songs and playing songs live. Um, so David was playing, uh, go ahead and play that uh, that piece you were doing, the, the oh, ZZ yeah, Top. The... Keep sunglasses <laughs> Keep thing. sunglasses. Yeah, so what I would do is I would stay off of, if I was playing that with him, I wouldn't play this. I would stay off of that, and I would do every time he went to this, I would do this. I would go, and I would just do that. And it sounds so, like, people would say, well, that doesn't sound, like, very interesting. Yeah, if you're sitting there alone, it doesn't sound interesting. But what yeah. you're trying to do is thicken up that this, and you're trying to give it that that high end, you know? Right. And and then this, 
when you're playing it, and, and we're both doing it similarly, you're palm muting this. Right? Yeah. So when you when you palm mute that, if you if you don't play it exactly in the same timing. Right. Which it's brings us sound, to the groove discussion. With that, and there we go. Now we're in the groove discussion. So, so go for it. All right. So there've been, I've been, I've been learning some music recently that's not in my wheelhouse, right. and then I started to say, you know, I need to learn a song that like I used to know and like figure it out and do it the right way. So I started playing uh, Cult of Personality, which if you've never heard yep. the riff, it's. That's basically the main riff of the song. Right. Now, you can see it's a really... And it plays a lot. <laughs> it's a, Yeah, basically throughout the song, there's little variations and stuff, but basically it's yeah. it. And you can see that it's a it's a riff that the bass player, the guitar player, the drummer, and even the singer have to lock into. And it's very much like, gotta be in sync. And if you're, if you're out by a millimeter, yep. and I've, done, I, I've actually recorded myself playing it, you can tell immediately... Yep. And that band is, as I pointed out to Jim after we talked about it, that band is super tight, and everything they play is like that, where it's, you know, the the, the groove is straight on, and it's not time-aligned. And that's yep. what's what's ridiculous about it, is, like, a, a lot of their music is, there's no click. You right. can hear them actually speeding up and slowing down, but they're completely in sync the whole time, more so yeah. than most bands are. Uh, if you yep. want to hear a band that's not very good at that, uh, go listen to like the seventies era Aerosmith stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're all over the place. Whitford, Whitford, and Perry are playing two different, and they're hiring things. other guitar players to play on that shit too, which kills yeah. me. Like they're yeah. still all over the place. It's it's the weirdest. Can I use the word shit? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't mind some Aerosmith. I'm not a no, fan. I, there but. are people that okay, so there are people that that um slam on this again we're not putting that music down or that style of playing down it's just that the problem is when you get into a big and this is what i was getting at with covers so if you get to a big place um let's say you're playing a large hall or um something of that nature the bigger the place the more that the the ping pong effect you get from the actual physical location the choice of how to play in that place can be completely um, based on how much ping pong you're getting in yeah, a room. Yeah, yeah. Because let's face it, most unless you're playing like a um, a concert hall, um, and even in a concert hall, you're going to have that feedback. There's a reason that one of your reverbs is called, or not your reverb, a delay reverb, is called yeah. hall. Yeah, reverb. That's a reverb, you. yeah. Yeah, it's called hall. Is because it's what it is, and and actually, Jim, this may be something you didn't know, but but maybe you do. Um, people who play in orchestras like typically want to be a certain distance from another instrument because right. they get used to dealing with that delay. Yep. Which yep. I know sounds absolutely insane, but that's exactly what you're talking about. Is if you're sitting yeah. in front of a studio and it's a different studio than when the when the song was actually recorded, and like you're tracking a solo in some other place. Right, that could affect the groove. It could also affect, like, just the fact that they can't lock in because they're not able to see right. the other musician, which is a if big part of it. If right, if you've ever been in a pit um, as a musician, um, and you ever wondered why, when okay, so little kids, obviously, no, I'm not making fun of little kids. I'm not putting little kids down. Everybody understand that first. When you when you go to the grade school, 
band thing, you hear this cling clang mishmash of stuff because they're used to to practicing alone and their their eyes are focused, laser focused on the notes on the page. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting that down. The thing is, there's a reason for a conductor. The conductor mm-hmm. is their is their timepiece. That is their metronome. Yeah. To which because the the first string violin and the um, timpani in the back are so far apart from each other that there's a ping pong if they're not working with and that. The yeah, and that's a huge component of what you're saying. But they do also operate a lot by ear because the conductors, like if you've ever watched a conductor who gets like super animated, yes, it could still be super fucking hard to tell like if they're on on <laughs> yeah. beat and stuff. Like I having played in band in high school, like I can tell you, there are times where that baton doesn't mean shit. That's why working with different conductors for different musicians can be a pain in the ass. I mean, yeah. you'll talk to a musician that's worked in a, um, uh, I don't know if you've worked in any community theater type stuff or whatever, but when um, they change conductors, that can, oh, that yeah. can throw the they're musicians like, off. What are we doing now? You know, like, yeah. What one time the guy's just doing the baton normal, the other time, you know, the, the next guy's jumping up and down and shit. Yeah. You're like, what in the hell? Like, what am I supposed to? Am I supposed to follow his head? Uh, my his my nose? thing is Where like, so they, so they get they they give out awards to conductors and stuff. Yeah. They give out awards, and so like for me, if the conductor's one of these guys that jumps up and down, you're listen, you're a conductor. You're not supposed to be a fucking performer, like. Get that goddamn baton moving the right way and call on the right groups of instruments to come up and go down as needed. Don't sit there and wiggle your ass and turn around yeah. and like like th- do the macarena with the audience yeah. and like all this crap. Nobody wants that. They want you to conduct, okay? That's right. Turn around and give the folks what they ask for. It's your freaking job. <laughs> Get it done. Do you're it the right. metronome, you're the timepiece, you're the you're the cueing. I mean, if you think about it, the conductor is directing who's Who's in what part? When you're coming in? When you're going out? When you when yeah. you're introducing a piece and what what the timing is all at the same time? A really good conductor is is a master, yeah, and that's so, why they call him a maestro. Right. All right. So moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're not. So that's a form of groove, right? Like that's probably right. the stiffest form of groove, it where is. you're actually syncing up completely visually. Because Absolutely. and and I've even seen situations where a conductor will have a metronome and they'll. You know they'll be they'll be in in rehearsals. They have a metronome going, and they'll be just, you know calling on instruments, bringing up levels and stuff with their hands and all that. Yep. Um, that's kind of a similar thing to um, you know how you record a studio where you have a click. Yep. Now where it gets really crazy when we're talking about groove is there are different kinds of groove. Like obviously blues is going to be a different groove than um, like. Even just, just conventional rock music, really. Yeah. Um, often they're very closely related, but like. The one I think of is like swing jazz is very not not swing music, but right, like right, jazz don't... that has a swung beat is yeah. very very different than jazz that is um how do I put it uh, that is you know more like straight ahead and yeah. you, you get your smooth jazz which is in like straight four four type stuff. Yeah. But if you listen to like Dave Brubaker's Time Out, you know he's they um I'm trying to think uh, they have like. Uh, you know, stuff in seven eights on there. That kind of stuff, like that's done with straight ahead jazz, but then they get into the part where they're like just vamping the chords and then it's, you know, it turns yeah. into like, 
and I'm, I'm sure I don't know the chords to that song offhand, but like it just turns into this, you know. No. Where they're swinging and yep. the the you know they don't have a guitar player in the band, but like the comp is like on the you know on the on the ones, and then like they've got like a um a sixteenth triplet going on for the uh for the beat and i'm like trying to think of a good like a good example of what that kind of beat is but i haven't played that kind of jazz in like a super long time um actually it was kind of how i got started guitar was playing a lot of jazz standards and stuff but um, really yeah my my uh, first teacher was a um uh he was puerto rican and uh, he was way into like gypsy jazz music and um he had me doing all this like Django reinhardt stuff and then uh he also got me into some like the later stuff, and we kind of stopped, you know, um, exploring that, and went into other music. But um, yeah, so that's where my background is. Like that whole thing, the gypsy jazz thing. I wish I could still play that stuff because it's all on the one. Yeah, actually, I can probably still do it. Yeah. You know, you know what that sounded like? Yeah, what? Queens of the Stone Age. Probably, yeah. And that's <laughs> that's a very borrowed. And I was going to say that that's a very borrowed. That it sounds just like that that beginning to that song. Uh, no one knows. It always felt to me like the guitar was being played with brushes because yeah. it's swinging so hard that groove feels very like it misses a lot. Yeah, and the band feels like it misses a lot. There's a, like a lot of like. And I know it's not; they're not really missing. It's just because those those they don't fall into normal rhythmic patterns. They're not really triplets, and that's right. the thing. Like you, you, if you notate this and you were to write out, you see triplet feel. You know, right. instead of sw- swing. Yeah, but really, have- it's not a triplet feel. It's somewhere between a one and a triplet. Exactly. And if you think about like, so Iron Maiden uses a triplet feel technically because right. it's not really triplets. Right. That's not triplets. That's right. actually eighth notes missing right. one in the middle. Where where triplet would be right, right, right. And and if you're and if you're wondering how we're counting, I'm counting that, folks. It's it's triplet, triplet, triplet. So it's triplet, triplet. I, I, it's hard for me to say. It's, yeah, when you try <laughs> to stop and count time. it, like it, you're like, wait a minute. So I'm doing that, and I'm counting one, two. So yeah, see, I can't. I'll show, I can't I'll show count an exercise it. at the end of this but, yeah. for for all of our listeners too, because I think um, we could all guitar players of the world today are, in general, I would say apathetic towards rhythm a lot more than they should be. Yeah. Um. So and I'm one of them, and I will completely call myself out. Um. But that that whole thing, um, triplets, all that stuff. Like, that's part of groove, but I would say that it's more about the feeling that you get from that kind of music. So we were talking about, you know, that that was gypsy jazz kind of feel. Like, now yep. if you get into, like, the blues stuff, you know. I'm not going to play a whole 12 bar, but uh, right, right. that's that's basically the same kind of idea. Like, you have these swung... Um, yeah. I guess there would be think- swung triplets again, and it would probably be you know every other 
well, really, every note is a swung triplet in that kind of situation. Right. You take the the intro to um, like uh, long train running, right? Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. where it's got a it's got a a, um, a free form feel to it. If you hear somebody play it um, in a stiff feel, it sounds like this. Uh, uh, that that's not stiff. They yeah. sound like. Right, right. Where where it's it's more of a feel thing where it's And that's a big part of it. I was gonna talk about accent and groove next. Right. So you could talk about the timing and counting the beats and getting that down and even understanding that there are subdivisions that exist beyond like sixteenth notes, triplets, thirty second notes, sixty fourth notes, you know, and all right. the triplet variations therein. You could actually get into these like weird and it's almost like microtonal stuff but it's but it's literally just rhythmic variation and um division so what you were showing was dynamics there like a lot of dynamics so like if i was to and and a perfect example for me is like um uh what's what's a good one um probably the intro to um let's see if i can get this to go with my sound the way it is right now the uh, I'm whipping post the the verses, right? That's um in six eighths time and like, but you can hear that I'm chucking away, you know. And it's very about where I hit those accents. Yep. Um, it's also was, got to do where, with where you're muting them as well. Exactly. Because, exactly. Yep. Go ahead. Because that, that controls the accent. Absolutely. And then the, the other thing that, that um, I've seen a lot of guitar players, especially online, like talking about improving rhythm, um, you know, you're talking about going fast, like, and how you execute these. Um, you want to make sure that your ones land on the same beat or whatever, but it's really not that. It's not your one. It's not your two, three, four. What you want to make sure you're doing is that those accents, the accents have to be dead on. If you can't get the accents dead on, then the rhythm's not going to sound right. Right. And I, I wish I could demonstrate it for you. I don't think I could probably pull something out where I can't play the accent. Part of the, yeah, part of that has got to do also with your, your um, tone. Like if I tried to do the same thing, but I had a lot of distortion in. Yeah, but that's exactly why I dialed it back. Because you know, I'm like, you, if I do that get, with... You're going to get a lot of crap. You see, it doesn't... Because it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't go well. completely dead. And if I... Right, notes. it doesn't go d- dead enough. And, it, and so it doesn't allow me that... <laughs> and you get people that, that they don't know that. And even a simple, like, uh, I want to I point out a band. Every time somebody asks for easy stuff, they're like, ACDC. And it's like, yeah, ACDC, no. uh, we, we talked about that no. last week. Right? There's so much fucking groove there. And like, there's, what? Uh, there's an incredible groove. And I see people, like, um, a simple song, like, uh, um, Highway to Hell, right? So they'll play, you know, the... Um, right? That, that, that piece right there, if you don't notice, I'm not playing exactly 16th notes or quarter yeah. notes or 8th notes. I'm playing... They're laid back off the beat. It's laid back. And so when I get to the the next part, it's and so there's that and 
Now, if you if you play that stiff, it's. I I, I still I just like you I fail to I fail to to play it wrong enough, but yeah. I'm sure that that comes across. I hope that my stiffness was coming across there. That that it felt stiff when I played it the second time. Or you know you you, you take uh, you take stuff like. Uh, you know, kiss. It's it's easy until you you have to rhythm it. And I remember having people ask me, um, you know, years ago. They say, "How do you how do you get that kind of in between feel?" I said, "I honestly don't know. I don't know." It's, no, it's it's it more of a vibe, time. and that's why I call it groove because it's it's right? really like, okay, I'm going to be lazy with this part, right? Um, I'm trying to think. Like maybe I've got some of my own music I could probably play i don't know um and it's that's i mean this part in the beginning that's supposed to be like lazy right and you can hear it and I like can if hear i it. If I did right. it, that that's the difference, like versus yep. where it's yep. like right on, you know, yep. and that makes so much of a difference in so many songs, not every song. And right. and there are cases like where, you know, the phrasing of a lead line or something is more critical. And that, and that you can get really crazy when you start talking about phrasing lead lines. I'm yeah. not going to do it because I suck at it. I suck at like playing behind the beat with a single note. I'm really, really bad at it, or playing in, playing ahead of the beat with a single note. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a lot harder to do. I do it subconsciously, just like you're you're saying, Jim. Where like, yep. I don't even I'm not even consciously where I'm doing. Like I have a um I have a song that's on iTunes that that goes like this. Yep. And yeah. And, that groove, I for years was like, I'm never release this. I'm never going to put this out because I couldn't I like play. It. I couldn't catchy. play it perfectly in time. <laughs> and then some day, one day I realized, wait a minute, that's a melody line. It doesn't have to be perfectly in time. Like no. it has to be. A, actually, it's supposed to be kind of off. You know. Mm-hmm. It's that just not. That has yeah, a you, really groovy feel to it. And then, oh yeah, the rhythm part's even better. Actually, it's yeah. So I mean, that's... see that he can't even cover his own music. Well, no, I'm just kidding. So if you if you get if you get that though, here's what something I want the listeners to notice about David's playing just now is without thinking about it, obviously, um, he was able to pull back just long enough to to make it so that. Um, if if a drummer was playing with him, this is the this is the part the groove where just a guitar um, fails us a little bit is that there's going to be that slight bit where the the drum's going to hit, the bass player's going to hit, and then David's going to be 
slightly behind him. And what does that do? It not only accents the way he plays, the his playing accent, the music then accents his playing. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta dig that track out because now I'm thinking about like maybe I should dust that off. But because yeah. uh, because that's why I can't even play like my own rhythm work, right? But the cool thing about that tune is um, it has this, especially for the uh, for the uh, I guess these are the courses. Um, it has this this underlying motif, and you'll hear it. You know, You know, um, and that, that locks in with the kick drum. So that part locks in the kick drum, but then the other notes are all like kind of, they just kind of float over the top. And it's all about holding those chords out and getting the the chord to ring out, even though you're like doing this moving bass line underneath. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting piece. I think it it fits real well into our discussion and dynamic and thing here, because this is all dynamic. Yeah, and with dynamics comes along with something that we do also without really thinking about it. And this comes with time. Anybody that tells you there's a magic pill or wants to sell you their program that'll get you better in five minutes is full of shit because that can't happen. You are going to learn your internal clock, your heartbeat, your brain, everything that works together um, is what makes you you and what makes you different. Um what David doesn't um, uh, is talking about also with with dynamics, not just the way he's playing each one, but also with the fact that each time he plays it, it's a little bit different, and because he can do it a little bit different, he he can. Um, and and I'm speaking for you, David. So you you got to chime in if I'm wrong because I do the same thing. I'm I think, not. I'm not cutting is, you off. You're right. I I will I will purposely play each time a little bit differently because that accents what i'm doing in that in that moment music is theme and variation right and so otherwise it is a boring click thing that you could copy and paste every time right so i have a dozen different ways to play that riff the bass line is still the same for the bass player right the drums are still the same you know they can do their fills and stuff in the right right places and so it's that's fine um and it's really more about creating a mood and a motif and so as long as i make sure that i'm using the same bass lines like then it should be good. It should work fine. Um, and and in truth, I could literally get the you know the um, I guess these are sixteenth notes. I could hand that off to the bass player and say, okay, you're gonna play sixteenth notes, and I'm just gonna play the chord over the top. You know, so right. Me. You know, yep. and and that would be fine. But right. I've chosen to arrange it this way because I want that. I want to make sure that I have that distorted, like, palm-muted thing going on. And right. so that there's enough separation between those notes. Because bass players, I'm not saying bass players can't do this. Obviously, Billy Sheehan can pull it off. And there's a yes. lot of people out there that can. Here's right. Jeff Berlins and stuff. Who would be able to, to do the same kind of feel yep. rhythmically. But in general, bass players don't, they're not able to palm-mute if they're playing with their fingers. And so that makes it a little bit more difficult. They actually palm mute with their left hand more than they do their right hand, yeah. which is kind of strange. Now, yeah. So as a okay, so as a guy who played bass for a long time, um, and uh, played bass for a lot of different bands, um, he, he, what David said is absolutely right. 
Um, it is a it is an art to learn how to mute on with the right hand as well as finger pick. I do and the I, same thing on guitar. Actually, a yeah. lot of my muting is going on in, in the left hand instead but of the I, right hand. I think that I had a step up on other bass players in that I had started on guitar, so I already knew a lot of palm muting things. Um, you know, we we. Uh, um, we make. There's a lot of people who will make fun of bass players. I'm not saying that that's not an easy job or that it's an easy job because it's not. Um, especially a good locked in bass player. I would rather have someone who's locked into a groove than somebody who can play quote unquote all the notes because I just want someone who can hit the timing because that thump is is yeah, got to yeah. be there for me. Because I can play the lines all night. I'd rather lock in in that particular part of the song. I don't yep. want to make this discussion about the song. I would rather have the the bass locking in with the the bass drum. Yep. Than I want them locking in with what the guitar is doing. Right. Matter of fact, I don't want them locking in with the guitar sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because I want that that uh, the root note reinforcement that happens on the one and the two. You know. And so if you're if you're like let's say you're beginning and you're you're ca- you're cowboy cording your way through stuff. There's there's a couple of different ways to cowboy chord around, right? So let's say you're playing a simple G thing to a C, right? You're just playing to C, right? I don't. The, I didn't think we liked cowboy chords. We oh, we hate cowboy chords. Apparently, <laughs> somebody thinks we hate cowboy chords. <laughs> that, I don't know why that came across that way. What we were saying is that's the simple stuff, and then you move forward. So what we're doing, we're talking you can, about. I still and, use them every day. Uh, obviously, I just did with the ACDC stuff. Um, matter of fact, a lot of people think that ACDC uses a lot more um, power chords than they do. That was oh, something yeah. that that yeah. They, there's a lot of open chords there in their music. They they choose those for a reason. Um, but anyway, so if you're playing, I, I could play this simple thing like like this. And, and if you can see my hand, my right hand, it's moving like a uh, like a metronome. But that can get boring, and it can get very taxing. So you've got to learn how to kind of lay back, and even so, even in a cowboy chord thing, you want to. Notice I used a little palm muting. You can yes, also palm like, muting and then lifting off his fingers on the left hand as well. Exactly, and I also pull up. Notice I I started with an upstroke. Yeah. Versus a downstroke. Upstrokes are a bit upstroke downstroke is another big thing. Um, yep. and actually, like I learned almost everything to do just like alternate, and I went really yep. got into that chucka chucka stuff. You know where you. Know, And you can right. see that Jim can see that it's all upstrokes and downstrokes. But exactly. the funny thing is, like, it's- you can create a different feel using some upstrokes, right? You know, and if you're playing with that guitar player, if you're the second guitar player, you and you've been playing that song together for a while, you might choose to play like he was playing this, right? Yeah. So I know that's an A with this. You know, with this note on top right yeah. here, right? It's an A minor so, six, I believe, yeah. Right, A minor six. 
But I know that I could play an A minor under that. And if he played that at the same time, my A minor would work. Or I could right. play two two notes of the A minor right there and right. leave this one off. So, yeah, but the whole thing is like, and you, going back to, to what we were talking about, upstrokes, downstrokes, you could even choose to do your, uh, so like when I'm doing a downstroke, you could you could reverse it. And then it gives off. you a much bigger sound because That's you're right. hitting the chord from the opposite direction. Absolutely. Um, and but it also kind of makes it muddier and like yep. it it makes it almost too big in some ways if you do it if you do it too if you much. Do it too and much. Like, right. And that's what I was going to say. So what you can that's what I was about to do. So if he's going I can go just do that. Right. And it gets back to that thing where I said you can you can just go you know, just bring that wow, that sounds really crappy when you vote when you got a too clean of a sound you know but the 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 choice is yours of how to how to voice if you're the second guitar player in the band or you're the other guitar player because if if a um you've heard of guitar players calling another musician generous what they mean by that is that they're giving them room to do stuff yeah and then they pull back and you can almost right. And that's where the, the the language of the music starts to happen. So, David, show show somebody like um, take take it where you would. I'm not going to try to play in, but take it like you were playing a rhythm, and then you were like about to say, "All right, I'm cueing you in." Give me an example of what you would do to cue somebody so like, in. Um, a song that that I, I'm just going to use a riff from a, a song I wrote like probably 20 years ago now. Right. Let me get a clean tone going here, or cleaner tone anyway. Yep. This is where I key in. Yep. So I drop out all the frilly little stuff in the middle right. and give right. you more space. Yeah, did you notice that that what David did was he left all those little those little um accents that he did in between his chords to give me room to be able to come in. Now, if if let's say you were playing, let's say you were doing a, a twelve bar blues thing where you were going like um, like a, if you yeah. were doing something like that, um, you could, you know, then the other person knows they can come in with that, you know, and, and they can they can take off. A lot of times, what I find myself doing, Jim, is just literally dialing back the volume yep. um, on my guitar so it's like it's cleaner. And then I might, so, like, if I'm playing a normal, like, blues thing. What I'll look for is, like, when I'm ready to, like, let somebody else take over, I'll just. Yep. Which means I'm just getting really uncomplicated. I'm just playing the chord. I might even not play the whole chord, like in this case. I've got a root, a fifth, and a seventh. Right. And that's all you need. And then a lot of times, actually, that's not even the root, that's the root, fifth, third. I, right. I get the seven in there too, but. Yeah, I typically but, um, throw the seven in. <laughs> but like, the other the other part of it is, uh, I'll use, so like, I'll use other comping techniques. Like, I'll dial back and I'll.
So it's just chords. I'm I'm now become part of the harmony accompaniment of the band. Yep. Like in the back. I'm not yep. getting super axed any with the beats, like more than I normally would. And right. I'm using some different chord forms right. to create something that's not boring, but right. is very but much leaves part space. of the harmonic context. Absolutely. And it leaves space. So um, what I what I did there just for our listeners is like I'm using um this is a D th- this chord is a D seven. Yep. Uh, with, with that is done, you know, with a with the, the slightly unconventional voicing, and then I do this other one, which is um, a bar at the the uh, uh, eight, that, no, it's a seventh fret with uh, with your fret, middle yeah. finger on the high E string um, at the eighth fret, yep. and that's also a D seven chord. So it's all different voicings of D seven, and then I'll play like when I get to the E chord, yeah, I'll do the same. Bo- you could do the same relationship for the E chord, you know, yep. starting at the the uh, seventh fret, and you know. Yeah, typically what I'll do so. is I'll throw in an E instead of going straight for the seventh fret. I'll go for the the fourth fret, you know. Yeah. Seventh fret, and then possibly even throw in a um, a three note thing here. At the, yeah, yeah. At the thirteenth fret, well, twelfth fret, I guess, but it's it's actually starting on the thirteenth. You know, right. Like that. So you could just—they're just different voicings of the same chord, and you can use yeah. that to create um, to create a harmonic context that's different and not static. And it sounds like a melody, um, even though you're it's playing not. this exact same thing. <laughs> it's really—it's uh, really a vamp and nothing less. Exactly. And you can apply that. So I'm using it in the blues context here, but you can apply that ad infinitum to any style of music you're playing, and you can actually basically arpeggiate chords. Like where you're outlining different root notes and stuff, and you can get really nuts with it and do chord melody and all that kind of stuff too. But yeah, I think next time we should talk a little bit about arpeggios because I think what people think is when they it, it, they're like, oh well, uh, uh, when I play an arpeggio, don't I have to play like 55 notes? And it's like, no, an arpeggio can be three notes. But it, as David no, is I'm, showing, I'm play, no, I'm playing. Yeah. Hang, hey, hang on, I gotta do this right. <laughs> yeah. Now, Those are all arpeggios. Exactly. Well, not all, not all of it, but most of it. <laughs> most of it. Yeah, I was going to say most of that are, is arpeggios. And if you listen closely to it, um, if you loop that, there's a repeated pattern that moves yeah. across chords. So what yeah. he's really doing is playing um, three minor, or four notes of a chord. Yeah, yep. I mean. So, so he's moving the chord all the way up, right? Then yeah. down, then all the yep. way, and I move down a half step, all or you know, our whole step, depending on what the next note in the scale is, and just right. you know, sweep through the chords. Exactly. Um, but no, you don't have. I mean, our pitches could be anything. Right. It could be literally. You could have like yeah. Or yeah, one of the most famous with a dyad in the front, you know, or yeah. that's all right. I won't do any more. I promise. <laughs> All right, I got, I got one for you. Hold on. All right, I got one for you. The the probably one of the most famous arpeggios, as far as uh, something that people will play uh, when they're when they're playing around, is a uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. And technically, that's not an arpeggio. It's no. an arpeggiated accompaniment. 
Yes. Because a true arpeggio doesn't have any other notes ringing at the same time. Right. Which I is why my I would have only st- allowed one to ring at a time. That's why my sweep stuff sucks here because like I really wasn't prepared to do it and I didn't wasn't only the pick right. But oh. you, typically you would not want your notes to ring together. So right. You- That's a way better arpeggio than what I yes. was playing before. <laughs> but the, but the point is, and we'll get we'll get yeah. we'll get deeper into that next time because we'll talk about like if you're playing in a major key or a minor key and how you would move that up or um, up through the because like let's say I was going to go from a G to a C, which is you know the the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Let's say I was going and I but I started at D. Let's say I was playing one four five. A, a mm. prime example of that is the song you know. Right, um, yeah, and so I'm not used to sitting in my lap. But um, when you're when you're doing that song, it starts on D, goes to C, right, and then goes to G, and yet that's the one. So it's actually a five four one song instead of. A and one, the funny five, part five. is, I think if you actually notated that out, it would probably start with the G on the one. But the thing is, like, there would be like a measure of stuff before the before the uh, the first bar, you know, like a, like a lead in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that that um, it's it's one of those things where, like, when you look at jazz, typically jazz is six two, right? And and yeah, uh, or two five one or two five one. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're not always playing uh, the thing, and and, uh, and of course, you know, talking about uh, majors and minors, you'll notice that one four five. The reason that 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 um, uh, rock and and blues love one four five is. You're in all. You have a choice of majors, minors, sevenths. You can pretty much play around with anything you want. In well, and the other five. thing, the, the, actually, the real reason I think that it happened was because then you didn't have to know any other chord vo- chord voicings to play it. That's true. Which is why. So if you knew your major chord voicings and you were good, like you could pull out any song that way. Also, if you know your guitar, um, <laughs> if you know how to actually play all the chords in your guitar, you don't have to move positions. If you know the cage system at all, you even even basically, anyway. what's that? You don't have to move positions anyway. You don't have to move positions. You can always play in one spot. Um, a lot of people think that if they're playing a bar chord of a G, and then they play a bar chord of, of a C, they're like, yeah, but I can't play D here. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's one of those things where oh well I got to learn how to how to play that. Where do yeah. I find that position where I can play all of them? <laughs> That's and, and again that note you know gets into knowing it. I think that, that a lot of people do that. Um, I, I tended to do it on a bass a lot because I was a, I was a, a vertical player versus a horizontal yeah. player a lot. So I would play a five string and. With a five string, I never had to move a hand anywhere. <laughs> well, see, I'm so that's the thing. Like, I'm way more horizontal oriented. You are. On you play a lot more horizontal than I am. Than I am vertical. And and it, it's funny because like we were talking earlier on the show about cage position or cage positions in the cage system and all that. And like, I'm like, I don't need them because because no. I know where all the damn notes are at in the scales. Well, like, because I'm so used to doing it. Exactly. I mean, I could literally do that. You know. I right. walk up the A minor scale, do it, you know, on on one string. Like, yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I practice that all the time. Believe it or not, major yeah. scale, minor scale, up and down the string, each string. And I go from the open string, then I pick a note, and then I try to do this, and then here, and then here, and yeah, then here, yeah, yeah. and then here, so that um, those who aren't looking, I'll. 
Right. I'll start in the first fret or open fret actually. Open string, and then I'll say, okay, now I gotta I gotta do the same thing in E scale. Um, but I'm gonna start at the second fret and then move it up and then at the you know. So <clears throat> um and then of course you gotta descend. But anyway, um what I wanted to talk to is uh we'll we'll talk more about uh arpeggios next time. Um because we're we're probably going long and we're Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, we're, no, we're not go- we're not going long, but um, I I think we probably should but we're supposed to be talking about and, groove. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely not we're we're kind of off the beaten path there. Right. Main thing but, is, I want I want to bring it back. If if, if you got so, you have something you want to talk about first? No, or? that's what I was going to say. The the important thing is like what we were talking about is finding a place where you can play a chord that works with the other musicians or um, whether you got a pianist or another guitar well, player. I mean, I wanted to I wanted to hit on one more thing before we 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 restricted the chords. Groove exists regardless That's, of whether you're playing a melody line or your vamp, you know, like you're doing your um comping. Um yeah. I think a classic example um at least for an arrangement that I play a lot is um You know, yep. um, and that's of course superstition, but um, yeah, played in the wrong key, of course. But uh, oh, yeah, that's all right. Now Stevie Wonder won't sue us. It's 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 got that that like swinging rhythmic feel that's not yep. a straight like anything, and it's bouncy, and right. you can feel that bounce when you play it. Like it, you almost feel like your picks bouncing against the strings. Yeah, another prime example is that. Uh- Um, again, you want to f- you want to get that because the bass player is playing on on this, and then they they play like a. That's really the bass line. Yeah. So you've got to be with that, but you've got to also add that, um, and you've got to have that timing. Because if you don't, then you you throw everybody. It, those uh, those those single note lines. Um, uh, you know, uh, when I would play, um, um, oh, what the heck's the gold nearing, uh, tune, uh, right, right, right. All night, my hand went on the wheel, you know, I, I'm playing that or I could slide into it, you know, um, if, if I'm not in the groove that's, with that, them. That's, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's more of a phrasing thing than, uh, like true rhythmic well, accompaniment is, though. Well, a phrase has to groove. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I, I get the argument, and I, I just, I feel like um, that's almost so not locked with the rhythm, though. You know, and the it, like, yeah, you got to hit the chord and everything, but it's not like the rhythm of the band is not going to fall apart if you, because oh, because they're driving it and you're over the top of it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're sitting on top, that's where I wanted to say, like, when I think of the groove, I'm thinking specifically of the harmonic harmonic bed content that mm-hmm. that lies underneath the melody lines and that golden earring song is like one of those things where even the guitar playing is like so it, it's almost ethereal and floats over the groove and that's where i think a lot of guitar players think that guitar really sits um but really it can be either or 
or it can be both. And it, well, and it's that's what I, I think you could do that in the same phrase. That was what I was going to get at. Oh, okay. So when you when I play it, you know the first the the A chord has to hit directly on time. Right, right. Then I have like this free flowing, right? Yeah. Where I but that second time I hit the B chord has got to be with them because you know the the again. How do I say this? I've seen so many lead players. It's like, okay, take a solo. And then they're just like, um, they're just like. Uh, and then they pick, they'll, they'll play in the, they'll play the right notes. Which the funny got, thing is they're the harmonic bed at that point. Right. Because and they're not floating over it. Right. And that's something I do very well. I can float over anything, you know. Um, I could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. You know? Yeah, but, but you'll get a guy who, who throws this in without without any rhythm. Yeah. Notice how it was... Yeah. And then all of a sudden... What the hell is that? Right. Vernon, that was Vernon Reed right there. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, okay, but... but and it's okay to use that. Sure, you know? sure. I'll typically it's, it's a use, tool. It's you should have it in your toolbox, right? But it's I'll not necessarily. Yeah, it it sounds. So if you're doing only that, it just sounds like every time you take a solo or something, you're doing pure chaos, right? And and, and I've noticed that there's a lot of people that will do that, and they'll do. Uh, um, but what I was going to get at is that's something I'll do to indicate to somebody. Guess what? I'm about to come out of the solo now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now like, it's your turn. You go. I or always I'll look use, and nod. I'm or like, I'll use this one. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. If your I turn. hit that, if I hit the root note on the low E string, yeah. that's a pretty good damn signal <laughs> that it's time for somebody else to do something. <laughs> you know, and I've done that before. Like I hit it. And then they all keep playing, and I just look around. And I'm like, okay, so I'll keep going for a minute, and I'll do yeah. it again. And then I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you'll be like, hello, hello. yeah, yeah. I'm like, literally looking now. around. I, I usually what I do is I turn around the drummer, and I'm like, what the hell, man? Like, <laughs> like what the hell? Yeah, like, so yeah, you're not following along. You're not listening to what I'm doing. You know, and those are accents. When you're playing a solo, I think that one of the the things that um, I'll hear when when uh, I hear a bad shredder versus a good shredder is um, a good are there, are there any good shredders, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. We've had an episode about that. It's called Shred yeah. Sucks. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I hear a good shredder, I, I hear someone who can... It's like a vocalist. They know how to... I've heard crappy vocalists, too, um, who are karaoke kings and queens who go out there and they're, and they're performing um, without any feel. And any any yeah, again, yeah. the groove has got to be there. And as the lead guitar player, when you take a solo, you are the vocalist at that point. Yeah, you better be. You better have your shit together, and you better know what you're doing. I mean, that's why I felt like my last experience playing live was so bad. But apparently, I've been told by various people that it was not bad. Um, but you know, just like you said, like you want more vocal quality, and so that's where we get into like separating yourself from the groove. Like, how do you stand above it? And that's right. one of the things we're talking about. So. Phrasing is a big component of that, being able to play notes that aren't in time, being able to play notes that are in time, um, mm-hmm. and knowing when and when and where to choose them, and then right. like how to structure a solo 
so that it flows properly, how to begin and end it, and how to make sure that the band like you're playing with knows what you're doing. Obviously, if it's composed music, you've made an arrangement, everybody knows. Or if it's if you're playing somebody else's music, like they kind of know, like, okay, so there's eight bars of this. Yep. But if you're playing with a band you've never played with before, how do you do that? Like one of the ways you could do it, use musical context and clues that the band's good enough. They heard you. They're, hopefully they'll catch on. Yep. You can always turn around and signal people, which yep. is a lot of times what I'll do is I'll hit my volume knob and I'll turn around. I'll turn around and make sure everybody sees me rolling back my volume knob to make it like super obvious. Or I'll hit a chord at the end of it and maybe like do a little chordal texture thing, but make sure that everybody knows like that's where we're headed. Right. It's a, it's a, um, and, and it depends on the structure of a song. If a song is structured, it's a lot easier to find that place because it, somebody will go, okay, I know the guitar player is going to play a solo for eight bars. Doesn't matter what they play, it's going to go for eight bars. Where if you're uh, in a band where you're free fall, free falling or free forming your um, uh, your your music, then it's a lot harder to say when is he, when is the guitar player coming out. Or when is a pianist going to end a solo? Right, right. You know, you guys really have to get a lot of those. So the jam bands, there, a lot of them use their ears. More often than not, I think there's some musical clues that they use. Yep. But I also see them doing things like nodding their head to people. Right. And if you think that Fish or any of those other bands that are doing that are getting by on musical cues alone. That's yeah, no, sadly that's, mistake. That they're they are they have a signal system worked out. It may yeah. even be like I'll turn on this pedal and when I do that, you know that's right. you know. And it may be as over. simple as, hey, when I turn down, that's when you're coming, you know, that's yeah. when we're done with whatever it is that I'm doing. Right. And um, they usually chart out so like even the even the best jam bands usually chart out how they're gonna do a jam. So it's like, okay, so I'm gonna start out, I'll have this heavy passage and then like I'll go into this quieter thing and then we'll, we'll half time it. And then, you know, so like they know kind of ahead of time how the song is supposed to be performed, but they might go, they might go, you know, so this part is free, meaning this is completely open to like how we all feel. And that's, that's another thing, but most of it's a lot more charted out than you think it is. Yep. Yep. I, I, I would definitely have to agree with that. I, did I ever tell you I opened for, well, I, I, I don't want to say I opened for Fish. We played on the same stage as Fish, like the next. They, they, what happened was, <laughs> it was funny because Fish had played already. So I, I don't want to say they opened for us, but they had played there and, and uh, their crowd was still hanging around. It was, so uh, they had played sitting on toilet seats. I'm not sure what that tour was about, but <laughs> there were five toilet seats on the stage. Maybe they're trying this to say that, like, this is how like we really, Home Depot or something. This is how we really feel about our music, man. Yeah, it's all shit. We sit on toilet seats and take shits while we my, play. My understanding is I, I, I'm not a Fish fan. I'm not a Troy Anastasia fan. I, I, I just I don't get it. It feels relatively random to me. But that said, uh, I did appreciate the fact they had a little bit of humility and a little bit of uh, fun with their own music playing on toilet seats. I think they're decent players. I just don't... Yeah. I don't get much from their music in the same way that I don't get much from Grateful Dead's music. Right. Um, I The one jam band I really, really liked and have always liked was Allman Brothers, but I think it's yep. because that's so Southern rock. <clears throat> yeah. That, and and a lot of the songs I like are the bigger, cl- like, guitar pieces. I, I think also the Allman Brothers, um, and this is a great kind of 
coming back to another thing we talked about earlier, the Allman Brothers were so blues-based. There was so much in there that, yeah, that yeah, came yeah. from blues, but it also came from very raw jazz um, uh, structure. Uh, uh, actually, the funny thing is, none of the guys really had a huge jazz context. Nope. It was bluegrass. It yeah. came from bluegrass. Yep. And they, because they were interested in jazz and blues, like they knew how to do the timing stuff, so it was really easy to port it over. Right. I mean, um, you know, most people know that it was Dwayne Allman um, doing the solo on, what was it, um, the, the Eric Clapton tune. Uh, yeah, I think it's on the end of it, though. I think he did the slide part. The slide part. Right. Yeah, which are, which are what make the song, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that may, that whole o- outro is the reason that the song is worth listening to at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, the he- what the heck was the name of that song? Uh, Layla. Layla, thank you. I knew it started with an L, and I was... I, I was stuck on Lorraine. I thought you'd, I thought you'd already said it. I was like, no. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I think uh, when I first saw, it, I'm not a huge fan of the of the Almond Brothers records. I loved seeing them live. I loved watching them live um, and uh, listening to the live live yeah, at Fillmore. Four, Forty minutes of one song. <laughs> yep, live at the Fillmore. I think. Um, and there were two reasons that I loved seeing them live. Number one, obviously, was uh, just incredible talent uh, um, all the way around. But uh, number two, probably the biggest reason was that they could turn around. I had no idea where they were in a song. I I was just like grooving along, my head bobbing back and forth. And all of a sudden, everybody would break, bing, and they went to another part of the song. Yeah, and you're like, what? And I was like, Like, how did they know that? How did they know? And at that time... You're probably sitting there thinking, "Oh, they just know each other so well because, like, you did, you probably weren't immersed in music the way you are now." Where it's like, right. "No, he, you know, he put his hand behind his, he put his hand in his back pocket, and then everybody knew that was like, <laughs> all right, you know, two more bars, yeah. like, and and that's literally what is. And nowadays, it is the, it's even more ridiculous than that because we have click tracks right. that, that that people use live, so they could say, "All right, we're going to have forty eight bars of improv." And yep. then, and then we're gonna we're gonna do a count off, and in the kick, click track, it's literally forty eight bars yeah. of click, 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 and then all of a sudden it goes three, two, one, and everybody hits, and that's it. Yep. Oh, yep. classic example: the guy that makes me think of it, James Brown. Yeah. All that stuff where he'd have the band hit, you know, and I'm I'm using the air quotes, um, yeah. where where he'd be like he'd be like hit me, and everybody would everybody would hit the right notes because yeah. that was like that was the that that was the symbol that was fully rehearsed and staged. So well, I mean, when you hear, can I take it to the bridge? Can I take it to the bridge? Can I take it to the bridge? Yeah, and, and then, then you're was, like, oh, what? It doesn't, it doesn't even register when you listen to it. He's telling no. the band, we're about to start the bridge. We're about like, to, and, and what was funny is, it fe- felt like he would say it like 87 times. Yeah, you know, say it like yeah dude, times. like there is a song, there's a, there's a, um, uh, I think a video on YouTube, and it may have been on YouTube, it may have been on another service. Where they, where they, he's like, he says it, and it's like nineteen times before yeah. they start the bridge. Like, <laughs> but he like, says it. He, they all know that what he does that one time when he wants to do it. He's he first he says, "Can I take it to the bridge? Can I?" Take yeah, it? Then he's, he's asking gonna say, the man. Now take it to the bridge, and they know that that little cue, that minor, yeah. that minor thing. Now take it to the bridge instead of can I take it to the bridge. Was when he was saying, "Take it to the bridge." The cla- the other classic example of signals embedded in music like that, man, is uh, Robert Plant on um, 
Oh. On a uh, whole lot of love at the end of it, where he's like, "Are we recording, baby? Keep recording, baby!" Like, yeah, it's hysterical because <laughs> you hear it and you're like, you, it doesn't register because it's so high pitched and so shrill. But if you knew Robert Plant and you were sitting in the next room, you're like, "Oh, okay, he yep. wants to keep recording and we'll do a fade out." Like, I, it's, it's another, perfect. Another example of, of that is live Stairway to Heaven when um, he cues in the drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he says um, uh, something about um, do you remember? And yeah. then and then that's when the drummer knows. Okay, I'm supposed to wake up playing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, but uh, but it's the point is that like there's a lot more context given his songs than, right. than we think. And and that you know going back to our group discussion. Like you think about the king of groove really is James Brown. Like yeah. he, he, his music was all over the place in terms of groove. And when you listen to it, all of the guys that were involved in that, and the one that comes to mind specifically is Carlos Alomar talking yep. about when he was in that band and the two guys that also were on guitar were basically telling him like, we work the, the, the words I believe they used to air, at least he said in interviews is we work really hard to make this whole don't fill it up. <laughs> right. Like, think about it. That's exactly what they're telling him. Is like, look, you've got to figure out where you fit in this groove and do not try to be the star. Yeah. Even though Carlos Alomar is definitely the guy that could sit there and just go, blah, 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 you know, all over the place. And he did and got fired <laughs> for it. Like, yeah. That's, he would, that was not his job. His job was to know how to fit the song well and to be harmonic accompaniment. And I think that's I think that's what the could take away from this conversation is groove is about rhythm, but yep. it is also about being able to be in the background. Right. And support the rhythmic motif that's going on in that rhythmic bed, that that harmonic content. And every song has it. Whether you want to believe it or not, every song has a rhythmic bed. Even almost- Iron Maiden, where they have three freaking guitar leads going on at once and and you know st- actually four because half the time Steve Harris is involved. There's still this rhythmic bed going on because of the way the arrangement's designed and That's the right. way that the drummer is is uh, orchestrating things. So. Well, um, I I, I want to say this about uh, about that. If you listen to most music, not even pop music, most music, you're going to have um, the guitar player is going to play rhythm guitar more than lead, and that's a that's just a given. So anyone who thinks that um, oh yeah, I I can just sit down and I can uh, play lead guitar all the way through is sadly mistaken. The most important thing that you can do. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and there is music. It's lame. That in. It's boring too. And most people, yeah, even Steve Vai will tell you that that you know you listen to his stuff, and it, because it's guitar centric, and I and I said this earlier, the guitar then becomes the vocal. Um, you've still got rhythm parts that he's laid down that are that are crucial, um, and that and that other guitar player is playing rhythm all night long. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and well, you know, look at him; like he takes three guys out to accompany him on tour, and that's partially because he knows that at least certain songs that he does require multiple guitars to perform the harmonic backup to what he's going to do, which is to provide a lead. Um, and of course, and that's. That's a dynamic function too, because even in his band, like he knows that he wants to feature the other players, and he does. He'll back off and let somebody else take the limelight for a bit, right? So, 
anyway, um, we are we are hitting our two hour mark right here. Um, mm-hmm. and we might be a little we might be a little short in two hours. Yeah. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the fact that we actually brought guitars in. If you liked it, uh, definitely comment in the group. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but if you've gotten this far, you've probably heard the secret phrase. Yes. The and secret- if you didn't hear it, go back. Yeah, the secret word, combine it with what's on over at uh, Great Lake Guitar Pickups Facebook page yep. and uh, send us that email. You've got, I'm going to give you one week from Tuesday, which will be, I need to look at the calendar here. The 13th um, or the 12th? I believe it's the 12th. Monday is the 11th. You're right. Yeah, so Both. you'll have one week from the 12th to get your submissions in, and then we're going to have the drawing, and then the, the uh, winner will be announced in the Facebook group. Yep. Um and and probably on the next show, um, the following show because that'll be two weeks from today. Right. Um, so I'll do another video with the uh, with the guitar. Um, okay. just do a little jam, to drum up support, and yeah, um, to get people. I'm, tell your friends. I'm serious. Like, yeah. we need as many listeners to this show as possible. And even if you're not a quality listener at first, um, I. I really feel like if you give us a chance, we do provide content you'll like. Yeah. Um, it may not, it, not everything you may like, but there may be enough to keep you listening. So, And we're not, you know, we want to move away. That's the reason we're, we're putting the guitars in here. We're moving away from that gear centric. Oh, here's what's going on with gear, 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 gear. Um, everybody loves gear and everybody wants to spend money on gear, but the. I like to hear gear, damn it. <laughs> yeah. The most important thing is, are you playing it? Yeah. Um, so we'd love to see more people playing uh, and posting um, their stuff in the in the group. Um, certainly, uh, there's a there's a lot of room for that, uh, and we um, we need to do we we need to provide you more uh, with that because we want to help you move in that direction. Yeah. I, hey guys, I want to um, just before we exit here, I want I want to have everybody. Um, Tell Jim that he did a great job on this episode in the group because he's being a pain in the ass and complaining about I don't know what I'm going to play. I do have a freaking problem. (laughs) I do that all the time, all the time. You know, I get to a I get to a rehearsal and I'll be like I don't know what to do here. And uh, so I'll give you I'll I'll give you guys a little bit of um, uh, just a thing that that happened to me. Um, So two weeks ago I I auditioned for a new band and I got picked up and they were like okay. Can you play this song? I don't know. I've never played it. Just start playing it. I'll play along. And then, and then, you know, and so, cause we had gone through the five or seven songs, whatever it was, they gave me to be ready. Right, and I right. blew through those. Right. And so they hand me, they just started going down their set list and I played everything until we were, you know, out of time. Sounds like they want, they expect a guitar player who's going to use rehearsal as practice. <laughs> but yeah, but I was like, I was like, um, and we were talking about groove, right? So that the stiffness that I was talking about with the uh, with um, the uh, long train running, yeah, the yeah, guy yeah. the guy was playing with us. I said, "Here, let me intro it, and then you jump in." I wanted to say it nicely, like you were playing that very yeah. stiffly, dude. Stop, you, please. Even the drummer <laughs> and the bass player, and the bass player is his brother and his drummer's cousin. This is a family band. I'm coming into like it feels like I'm going to West Virginia. I was waiting, waiting for them to go ding 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 ding. Oh my and, gosh, they have no you, coveralls. Can you swing like a pig? And, um, oh my god! <laughs> Do we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, <laughs> but they're all really nice guys. They really are. And um, uh, they got a they got a female lead singer, 
who's who's not related to them. I was surprised. And um, so anyway, they they um, uh, I, I brought in the song the way that you know I know it, and he immediately was able to jump in and ride the rhythm that I'd created right. so that I could play the, the, um, the single note stuff. You know, that, that yeah, thing. Yeah. it's nice. I'll tell you though, it's, it's nice not to have to sing because now I know why guitar players are like, whoo, I don't have to sing. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I sing on almost everything I play and it's, it's like, Ooh, I can, I can just play a whole song and not have to sing yeah, at all. I, you mean I can just kind of hang out and like? How does how do people like, do that? <laughs> yeah, like I don't. This song feels weird. <laughs> like, so awesome! <laughs> what the hell's going on here? I've only um, been in one other band where I was I was a musician. And well, I'm glad else. to hear you're stretching out more, Jim, because you're gonna yeah. you're gonna start to experience what it's like to live like me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is you know not. Being but I had to do. I had to be careful because what I found was, and this is what I was talking about earlier, is if you play um, if you play parts, make sure you leave. A hole for the vocalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you you figured out real quick. You're like, oh shit! Like, I just like, I just I stomped all over that whole arrangement. Like, what? Whoops. Uh, yeah, when the singer's looking at you, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. Why are you, Why did you just do? What, would you get out of here? <laughs> I learned all really right. fast. I was only took a couple of notes. I was like, oh, whoops. So, yep. All right. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we were practical guitarists. Woohoo!